The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Our world is, is often a harsh place to live, isn't it? For the most part, people live in a kind of a dog-eat-dog uh, society and existence. The way of the world is, is, is to put self first, uh, love self, and provide for self. And if we're not careful as Christians, we'll live the same way. It's about us. It's not about others. Uh, this week, we're calling Love Week as a church. Maybe you looked at that in the bulletin. There's a uh, table in the back, and we've got various things that we want to do in our community. We're going to feed our police. We're going to the children's hospital. Today, we've got a nursing home service asking people to go and be a part of. And and that we want to go and minister to others outside the walls of our church. Because understand, church is not the attendance of services. The church is what we are. Uh, sometimes people look at church as, oh, I, I went to church, so I'm done. Uh, church is not the attendance of services. Church is going, gathering together so that we can go out and serve others. By love, the Bible says. And uh, the world we live in has, has worked tirelessly to promote the, the message uh, that it doesn't matter who you choose to love and and not to tolerate anyone that tells you different. But the, the Bible gives us some, some guidelines. The Bible gives us some principles. The guy, Bible gives us some truths about what love is. And it's not about just a feeling. It's not about things that sometimes we, uh, we uh, allow the world to uh, uh, depict to us or define to us. And uh, I hope that you understand when I say uh, the world, I'm not trying to be condemning this morning. I hope that you understand the Bible says that the world is an enemy of the, the Christian. It's not the people. It's the, uh, it's the ruler, the devil that's in this world, the culture, if you would, that's pervasive against Scripture. And uh, we've got to look at that. All that is in the world, the Bible says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And by the way, the Bible tells us not to love these things. Uh, it says love not these things. And so the Christian understands that uh, we love out of obedience to the one that showed us what love is. So we're obeying Christ, and Christ showed to us, we talked about this last week, displayed, defined, demonstrated, if you would, love to us, and and we are being obedient to him because he showed us what love is. Uh, I can have a feeling and think that's love, but I can go to the word of God and define whether or not it truly is love or not. Sometimes, come on, do you ever have feelings and you've got to check them with Scripture? And by the way, I would encourage you, if you're a Christian, don't just live life off of how you feel. Uh, we don't live life off of circumstances and how they make us feel. And we're not reactionary. We, we're obedient to the Word of God. We've got to check ourselves often. Uh, by the way, be careful. I said this in our adult Bible class this morning. Be careful what you read. I'm not against reading. I'm not against knowledge and education, but uh, when I read something, I've got to put the Bible over what I read. In other words, I don't, uh, I don't put a book over the Bible and define the Bible by what I read. I put the book underneath the Bible and define what I read by the Bible. I check it for error. I check it for uh, philosophies that uh, are not biblical or scriptural, and we've got to be careful. By the way, this is what cults do. Cults take a book and put it over the Bible and say, define the Bible through man, man-written books. And uh, you may even see uh, uh, the Mormons use the King James Bible just like we do, but they put the Book of Mormon over top of it. And they define everything they believe through that book. We've got to be careful uh, that we are not that way. When it comes to love, we don't go off of how we feel or what man has said. We look at the Word of God and we say, God, what does your Word say about what love is? And uh, I want to be obedient to your Word. 
Uh, the Bible is clear that the way of the Christian is to be vastly different from the way of the world. When I say vastly, I mean that one is alien to the other. One is opposite to the other. One is completely different than the other. Transformed. Isn't that what the Bible says? That we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Can I say this? John 13, 35 would teach us that genuine love for the brethren is how we're to be known of others. It says that as Christians, we're known by our genuine love for other Christians. A genuine love. I don't mean to, uh, to uh, be accusatory this morning more than I just mean to, for us to step back and look at ourselves. But often, uh, the love for the brethren we have can, can almost be defined as a little disingenuous. Um, and, and what I mean by that is most people expect that when you come to connect with a church, that uh, yes, they may smile at you and shake your hand and say that they're glad that you're there, but the truth of the matter is, is if we love people, it will go beyond the handshake, the smile, and it will look to the need. You with me? Because that's what we're called to as, as Christians. We're not here just to uh, have some kind of Christian niceness about us to where, you know, we're just social. And I, I, I'm, I'm understanding that as we have a group of people with all different personalities and backgrounds, some people are more social than others, and some people are more pulled back than others. But all of us are to look at one another and say, I'm here to fulfill a need. I don't want to be disingenuous in my love. I want to be genuine in my love. I want to make sure that as I love, I'm loving in a Christ-like manner. When we see the love of Christ, we don't see anything that lacks genuineness. We see Christ loving in a genuine way. He loved the lost. He loved the brethren. Uh, if you see uh, genuine love for the brethren... Uh, next, genuine love enables us to fulfill the commandments of the Lord. If you love me, you what? Keep my commandments. In other words, uh, if I am loving, if I love Christ, I am able to keep the commandments of God. Because without the love of Christ, I can't keep the commandments. In other words, what was missing in trying to be obedient to the word of God? Well, love. Jesus brought about that spirit, that love, that loving. Uh, by the way, without love, the law is condemning, isn't it? It just completely condemns. You look at the Old Testament law uh, through the eyes of, uh, of, uh, of a cynic or a skeptic. What do they say? Boy, this is just horrible. This is unloving. But what does the love of Christ, what does the New Testament do for us? What does John three sixteen do for us? What, when we look at Scripture and we see Calvary... And we view the law through love. Boy, it, it changes the whole thing, doesn't it? It changes the whole way we look at Scripture. Uh, in other words, we can come to the conclusion, uh, as uh, uh, the early church did, uh, that his, his commandments are not grievous. In other words, these are not difficult. These are not hard. These are not hate, hateful. These are not spiteful. These are not judgmental. These are good. These are loving. Come on, uh, as a... As a um, Parent, if you have a relationship with your children, if you're all law and no love, that's not going to last very long. But if you have a genuine love for your children, you have a genuine relationship for them, even though they may not understand every command, they understand it's from someone that loves them, they'll be more apt to uh, receive it. And by the way, one day they'll understand it. Love defines to us the purpose for which commandments are given, but it also enables us 
to fulfill those commandments. Uh, the passage before us today reveals the truth that believers are to love the brethren. I mean, that's what the Bible says. It's a mark of spirituality. It's a mark of Christianity that we have a love for the brethren. If, if, I, if I'm in the church of God and I have no desire to fellowship with Christians, I have no desire to worship with Christians, I have no desire to be a part of a local New Testament church, I just kind of want to come in, you know, sit down, shut up, and get out, you know, as soon as he's done speaking, you know, don't talk to anybody, you know, kind of don't, uh, don't rub, you know, don't fellowship, don't find out anybody's name. Come on, that, that's not good. That's not the way that we're supposed to be. We're, we're here to connect with each other. And I understand that sometimes that's a little scary and could be a little messy. Because we're just sinners. But the truth of the matter is, so is the early church. The truth of the matter is, so were the disciples. The truth of the matter is, is we're not here to just come in, sit down, shut up, and get out. We're, we're here to listen to the word of God and be obedient to it. Say, I've got to have a love. And by the way, it's natural if we're Christians. It's not put on. It's a natural love. And uh, he goes in to tell us uh, that our love one for another is one of the strongest proofs that we're saved. Look at... Um, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. We didn't read these verses. We read 16 through 18, but I want you to look at the two verses before. It says this, verse number 14, We know that we have passed from death unto life because what? Come on, say it with me. Because what? We love the brethren. So we know that we've passed from death into life. We know that we've been transformed. We know that we're in Christ. We know that we're Christians because we love the brethren. Notice this, he that loveth not his brother abideth in what? Death. Whoso hateth his brother is a what? A murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. He's making a very strong point here. That a love for the brethren is a proof of Christianity. Is a proof of knowing Christ, of being in Christ. And so let me give you these uh, three points this morning, and then we'll be done. From verse number 16, we can see that love is more than an expression. It's more than an expression. Love is extensive. It's more than an expression. Love is extensive. Look at verse number 16. Here, I perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We see that love is more than an expression. It is extensive. It's saying to us that, hey, you have, you, have, uh, you have observed and known and been loved by Christ. He laid down his life for you. And then we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. What does that mean? There's an extension of Christ's love. The extension of Christ's love is through the local New Testament church. In other words, how is Christ's love known in the world today? Through Christians. That's the way it's supposed to be known. In other words, uh, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How do people know of the gospel? Well, how shall they hear without a what? A preacher. Go into all the world and what? Preach the gospel to every creature. Who has the opportunity or the commission or the command to go and tell and bring the gospel? Can I say this to you, that the greatest way of exercising and expressing love is the gospel? It is the greatest way. If I truly am loving, I will give the gospel. By withholding the gospel from people, I'm showing a lack of love in my life. It's the truth. If I, if I really love someone and I know they're not saved, they're not a Christian, I've got to have the courage, I've got to have the boldness, I've got to have the wisdom, if you would. In other words, I'm not advocating that you walk up to somebody and say, you're going to die and go to hell. Uh, 
well, that may be true, and somewhere along the way you ought to get in the doctrine of that as you teach the Word of God. It's not the good foot to start off with, if you would, when you talk to somebody. In other words, perhaps you should start where God does in revealing the fact that mankind has fallen. Or even going further back and understanding that God created all things. And by the way, that's becoming more and more a debated topic of today, isn't it? And uh, God is the origin of all living things. The Bible says, without Him was not anything made that was made. God loves what He made. God stepped back and said, it's good. And uh, God made man, and He made him His own image and His likeness, and He loved him, the Bible says. Can you see God, when He fashioned, the Bible says He made Adam, the Bible says He formed him with His own hands. It doesn't, he spoke other things into existence, but with, with, with Adam, he got his hands dirty, if you would. He reached down to the dust, and he formed man. And then we see something a little bit uh, interesting. The Bible says he breathed his breath into man, and man became a living soul. Now, I don't know how you see it, or whether this actually, I, I, I can't say this is what the Bible says what happens, but if you can think about it a little bit, have you ever uh, seen a little bird that's kind of lifeless on the ground? You'll pick it up, and, you know, uh, I almost see God almost like picking up man that way. It's just lifeless. It's just empty. And the Bible says he just, he breathed breath into him, gave him life. There's a cherishing there. There's a, there's a love that was there. God loves us. We see that love throughout Scripture and how uh, God brought his plan uh, throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament for us to see the Messiah being born. The way that he was born showed love. The way that he lived showed love. The way that he died showed love. The way that he rose uh, from the grave showed love. The way he gave us the church and the Holy Spirit of God shows his love for us. The way that he's given us his word shows and reveals his love. And we see the love of God. It's more than an expression. It's extensive. Cain, in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 8, sets the biblical example of what self-love is all about. We see that first example of fallen man. And self-love. We see an anger with God. Why was he angry with God? Because he was disobedient and God called him out for it. Because God didn't accept what he did because he disobeyed. And we see self-love. In other words, if, if, if people won't do what I want them to do, then I won't be obedient to them. I won't love them. Well, what is that? That's self-love. That's I love myself more than anything. Love myself more than God. Uh, often you, you, you can see that uh, coming uh, through the nature of, of young people, even sometimes with their parents, uh, they've said something like, I hate you to their mom or their dad. What does that reveal? Self-love. I only will love or offer love if I'm loved the way I want to be loved, if I'm given what I want to be given. And uh, it's more than expression, it's extensive. Jesus, on the other hand, se- uh, uh, sets the standard for loving others. He loved us as much as is possible. He loved us so much that while we're yet sinners, the Bible says while we were yet his enemies, uh, he died for us. Come on. We'd have a hard enough time laying our life down for loved ones, let alone our enemies. You know, I'd like to say that, you know, someone that I love, I would gladly give my life for. But that's still a hard decision to make, isn't it? It's still difficult. We'd say, well, in the moment, I'd like to think that I would do that. Uh, by the way, it's, it's, it's perhaps one of the greatest reasons why I respect and, and love those that serve in our military. Because they don't even know me, and they're willing to die for me, in a sense. No, they don't know me. They're not saying I'm dying for so-and-so, but the cause of freedom and, 
in our country. And by the way, I've got a great respect and honor and love for people that would do that for me, not knowing me. But then I understand even further where that kind of love comes from. Sacrificial, selfless love is God's love. That's God's love. That's the way God teaches us to love. And the Bible's trying to tell us that genuine, God-like love knows no boundaries and sets no limits. It draws no lines. It never says this far and no farther. God never says that. He says, nothing shall separate you from the love of Christ. There's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. He loves you with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. He loves you that much. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. What more could God give? He gave Himself. The Bible says He gave Himself as the propitiation for our sins. And get this, and not for our sins only, but also the sins of the world. It's interesting. You know, sometimes I'd like to think that, uh, uh, you know, maybe He only died for a, a select group of few people and And I I believe that some people like to teach and preach that, but I don't see that in the Word of God. The Bible says that He loved the world. He gave Himself a propitiation, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the world. Now, what I do understand is that some people won't receive that love. Some people will reject that love, but it doesn't mean that God didn't love them. And it doesn't mean He didn't die for them. Jesus Christ, as I see Him, you know, can you see the way Jesus dealt on the earth? Did he not know that Judas would betray him? I mean, at the very fact and point, when Jesus was at that last supper, as we would call it, he looked and said to Judas, what you're going to do, go and do it quickly. And no one else at the table even knew what he was talking about. As a matter of fact, most of them, I think, thought he was giving Judas some kind of a special mission to go and do. Because they looked at themselves and said, Lord, is it I? Will I be the one? They didn't know it was Judas. And when Judas approached him in the garden, what did Jesus call him? He called him friend. He said, friend. You know, Jesus still outreached, reached out in love. He still, he still made, he left the door open, if you would. He still gave opportunity. And the truth of the matter is, that's what he does for all of us. He loves us. He's given us more than an expression of love. He's shown us the extension of that love. Genuine love is clearly described. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. Would you look at that with me this morning? Perhaps you know this. Perhaps you've heard it before. Uh, Some people, I think, don't know that it's in Scripture, but I want you to see it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 1. It's clearly described here in the Bible. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Get this, you you could have all the other spiritual gifts without love and you're nothing, the Bible says. Because you could be be a a preacher, You, you you could give the word, you could do all these things, but The Bible says it's like a sounding brass. It's like a tingling cymbal. It's like a noise that doesn't have any effect. It's like white noise, if you would. It has no sound. It has no effect. It makes a difference because of the lack of the element that makes all the difference. What is the element that makes a difference? Love. Verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. 
Well, that's a good verse to those that say, well, you know, I think I'm going to heaven because I've, I've done a lot of good things, humanitarian efforts. I've helped the poor. I've helped the sick. But the truth of the matter is, without the love of God, it, it doesn't profit us of nothing. We can do everything we want to do and, and try to help people, but without the love of Christ. And by the way, that's what we're calling us to as a church this week. We want to go and help people. We want to be kind to them. We want to be compassionate towards them. But we're not saying go do these things to, 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 to fulfill a role somehow of servitude without love. Love is necessary. Love is what makes all the difference. I'm calling the church to acts of love uh, uh, on purpose, that we would love God, that we would love others the way God has called us to do. Look at verse 4. Charity what? Suffereth long and is what? Kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not, itself is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no what? Evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Charity beareth all things, it believeth all things, it hopeth all things, it endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. God gives us a clear description of what love is. He said, number one, it's more than an expression. Love is extensive. extensive. Number two, love is more than an emotion. It is expensive. Love is more than an emotion. It is expensive. Look at, uh, go back to 1 John chapter 3 and look at verse number 17. Love is more than an emotion. Love is expensive. But whoso hath this world's good... And seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Again, if we want to see what love will do, then we look no farther than Calvary. You know, he saw our need, he possessed the necessary resources to meet that need, and he met that need. By the way, he was the only one that possessed the necessary resources. He was not doing something that he did not have in his means to do. It was well within God's means to save us. You understand? God had the means to do it, and he did it. So what is God calling us to do? God is calling us to meet the needs of others within our means. He's not asking you to meet the needs of others beyond your means. He's saying if you have the resources, if you have the ability to, and you shut up your bowels of mercy, you, you, you're not compassionate. It's similar to that uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. The men that passed by had the resources, the ability to help that man. And they chose not to. They shut up their bowels of mercy. They were not compassionate. By the way, that, that, that bowels of mercy talks about the seat of love or the seat of compassion. It's the heart, if you would. In other words, he's saying your heart, you shut up your heart. You say, I'm not going to love. My love goes no further in this area. Even though I have the resources, I want these resources for me. I'm not willing to, to use them for someone else. God didn't do that. He taught us that love is expensive. That's what love is all about. It doesn't hold anything back, but it meets needs wherever it finds them. Get this, if God reveals to us needs, we're meant to meet them. If God shows us needs, we're meant to meet them. Sometimes, I believe this is why people don't want to come to church. Because when we come amongst a group of people, we see people's needs, and then we feel guilty when we don't do what we should to help them. 
I, I really believe that. It's why people don't get involved in a local New Testament church the way that they should, because they don't want to be obligated. I would rather have my head in the sand and not know anything about anyone or anything. And by the way, that's why some people just don't get involved. I, I don't want to be involved because if I'm involved, then I'm going, to have to, I'm going to have to do something about this. We've all done it. I, we were walking through New York City. What corner can you not go by where somebody's asking you for something? I mean, I, I've had people walk up and say, you know, I, I need a meal. I need this. Come on, we've all done it. Don't make eye contact. Look away, look down, walk by them like they're not there. Ignore. And then here's the other thing. Tell yourself that they're going to use it for something sinful. Because that automatically alleviates us from meeting the need. Tell yourself that you need it more than they do. Tell yourself that you're not there to help them. Now, I'm sorry, I understand that not everybody is being honest about their needs. That's where wisdom kicks in, doesn't it, as Christians? Because there's a lot of people that maybe are trying to take advantage of the system. But not everybody is. You with me? Because I think this is where Christians have gone and said, well, the government can take care of it. Well, other people can take care of it. Well, let other people... And by the way, the government has taken areas where they should have never taken over because I think the church and Christians have pulled out of areas where they're supposed to be in. God gave the obligation of caring for the poor, for the widows... For the maimed, the blind, the whole. He gave that obligation to the church. Gave that to us. Well, we don't want to be. Don't make eye contact. Don't, don't look. Come on. There's no, um, there's no levels within the church of classes. They're just sinners saved by grace. So wherever you find yourself, you say, well, I'm not on this level, or not, so I can't help. If you have the resources and you see a need, God means you to fill it. Don't be always on the take. Come on. Some people, are, they come to church and they're always on the take. Well, I'm on this level. There's other people that have more than I. And some people that, that don't have maybe a lot, they, they don't give because they, they think, well, I'm not obligated. Jesus pointed to the widow that only had two mites, didn't he? Well, in our respect, she would have been on a lower level, if you would, or a lower class where she, maybe other people there had more to give. In other words, God doesn't say to anyone of any class that you don't have to meet people's needs or you don't have to serve. You don't look at yourself and say, well, I don't have much to give, so I don't give. No, you give as God has allowed you, as God has prospered you, as God has met your needs, you give. So let him give, the Bible says. So is there anybody in the church of God that's not supposed to give? No, we're all supposed to give. We're all supposed to bear the burden. We're all supposed to help and bear the load. So you say, well, my giving is not big in a comparison. This is where we're wrong. We're not giving in comparison to anyone else in the room. We're giving in comparison to what God has given us, and we're giving, acknowledging that everything we have belongs to Him. That's how we give. Now, here's the truth. If you won't do that with your finances, you won't do it with your time either. If you won't do it with your finances, you won't do it with your time, you won't do it with your talents, you won't do it with anything. You'll be very selfish in a sense. Because our finances represent our work, our time, our energy, our stewardship. And sometimes the truth of the matter is, is we say, well, I don't have much to give. Listen, whatever little you have to give, if it's what you have and you give it uh, for the glory of God, you give it. But let's not, let's not have this idea that we come to tip God. 
You know, uh, I've heard it said many a time, take the money you take to the mall to church and take the money you take to church to the mall. You know, sometimes we have this upside-down view of things. Well, I, I, you know, I need more for me than others need. And we've got to be looking to fulfill the needs of others. I think it's great. Uh, I'm not leaving uh, next Sunday, but the following Sunday I won't be here. I'm leaving a week from Monday for Zambia. You know what I'm really asking God? I, I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, as I go on this trip, I want to be a good steward. And God, I hope that you'll change me. You'll make me different. God, because of what I'll be able to see. I don't want to be the same. I want to be different. I want you to change the way I look at things, at ministry, at the world, uh, at, at people, at the gospel, and its power, and its impact, and, and the worldview of what we're supposed to do. I'm praying that God do that for me. I've been praying that daily. God, uh, bring revival to my heart. God, give me fresh vision. Allow me to see the things that you want me to see. Help me to be able to make a difference wherever I am. The truth of the matter is, sometimes we don't want that. We enjoy our worldview, and we don't want it changed. And we live in a society that would rather know about Hollywood than they would about the disasters in the rest of the world. Would rather know about the death of actors and actresses and musicians in our country than we would about Christians that are dying in other countries for their faith. We don't want to see it. We'd rather have our head buried in the sand because we don't want to have the we don't want to have the, the, the responsibility for what we see. Come on, sometimes that's how we are when it comes to missions. Well, let somebody else take care of it. Let somebody else do it. You say, well, I can't do everything. You're right, but you can do what God shows you, reveals to you uh, what you can do. Love is expensive, is it not? Husbands and wives, don't you know that? Love is expensive, isn't it? It costs us something. I'm not just talking about shopping trips. I'm not just talking about flowers. I know it's Valentine's Day this week. I'm not talking about all the frivolous things that sometimes uh, we use to represent love. And by the way, I'm not against any of those things. I, thought, I think you ought to express it the best way you can. And if you don't celebrate the day, I'm okay with you not celebrating the day, but don't ignore love. Don't, don't ignore love. I'm not calling everybody to celebrate Valentine's Day any more than I am calling them to celebrate any other holiday, but I am calling you to celebrate what the Bible celebrates, and it's love. It's love. Love is what we should celebrate. By the way, didn't we come this morning to celebrate the love of Christ? I think too many times uh, that's kind of unknown within the church because it doesn't look like we're celebrating anything. Did you not know this is a celebration? It's a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That doesn't just happen one day out of the year. And I'm good with the emphasis, but this is the first day of the week. Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive. It's a reminder. We worship him today. It's about him, and it's going to cost us something. I think too many people think that an hour of their time is too much to give. Two hours, three hours a week is too much to give to the Lord. Well, I've got other things to do. Can I share something with you? Everybody in the room is busy. Everybody is. And as the world progresses, it seems like as we have things to save us time, we fill them with other things. And what I'm saying to you is be careful what you fill your time with and how you justify it. Because the Bible tells us that we're to love. And it's going to cost us something. And lastly, this morning, love is more than an experience. 
love is expressive. Love is more than experience. Love is expressive. Genuine love doesn't just talk, it acts. Look at verse number 18. My little children, let us not love in what? Word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. What's he telling us? Love's more than a word. Love is more than an experience. Some people, they like the experience. And by the way, there's people getting rich off of selling the experience of love. See, an experience. We want to give people an experience. I've heard more and more churches talk about that. We're going to give people an experience, a worship experience. I'm okay with the experience. I think if we meet with God, we're going to have a great experience. But love is more than an experience. It's more than a word. It's expressive. Genuine love doesn't just talk. It acts. Those who talk and don't do really don't love. That's what the Bible says. We could talk. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather see the expression of love in a life rather than just listen to it. Come on. If you're a parent, if you talk to talk but don't walk to walk, your walk will be revealed in your children's lives. You can say all you want to say. It's like the parent with a cigarette hanging out of their mouth and tell their kids, don't ever smoke. Well, you say all you want to say, but until you actually reveal, until you actually show them, they're going to emulate. Don't kids emulate what, we, what they see, what we do? Jesus calls us here little children. What's he saying? I'm okay with you emulating me. I'm okay with you copying me. He knows we're little children, by the way. He knows we emulate what we see. He's just telling us to look in the right place. He's saying, if you want to emulate little children, if you want to look, if you want an example, look here. This is the example you're to follow. Look at my son. Look at my son. Too much time is spent not looking at Christ. Looking unto Jesus, the Bible calls us again and again to look to Christ. It has been said you can, love, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can give and not love, but you cannot love and not give. You have to. Real love might be manifested by meeting a material need. It might be manifested by lending a helping hand or a listening ear. But it will be expressive. It will be shown. It will be revealed in action. Come on, are you with me this morning? How is your love life? Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my lambs. What's he saying? Express it. Show me. Show me. My wife's here. I love her. She doesn't just know that because I say that. It's because I show her. By the way, if you're a man, you have a wife. If we're all being honest this morning, we're just praying that God helps us to show them better. Because sometimes we're a bad picture, aren't we? Of love. The Bible says, no man yet hateth himself. We love ourselves. We know that already. Come on. Sometimes we do a better job loving ourselves than we do other people. You with me? 
We love ourselves. I mean, we give anything to ourselves. Well, I need this. But if somebody else came to you and said they needed that, you say, well, that's not a need. But you needed it. Well, they don't need it. Come on. It's often shown an expression of how we bring all our broken, tired, and old things to the church for others to use. Well, I'm going to throw that away, but we could give it to the church. Maybe they could put it back together. And Why not give your best? Why not give the first fruits? Why, why not? That's what the Bible calls us to do, to give our best, not our worn-out things. And I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm not, for, I'm not against doing those things. There was a day, by the way, when clothes were brought in and people actually went through them and, and took them. But now more and more, when people bring clothes, they just sit here forever and nobody needs them, nobody wants them. We have so much, don't we? We have so much. You say, well, there's nobody that needs them. I, I drove past the bins last night. They were overflowing and things on the ground all around them. I don't know where they're going or who's taking them there, but I think we've got a lot. The truth of the matter is, is there's other places, there's other people that need things. Most of the world, listen, we call ourselves poor. Most of the world, we don't know what poverty is. We think poverty is, I, I, I can't afford the latest uh, video game platform. Or I can't, I, can't, I can't afford the platinum level of the cable. You know, I, you know, I, I don't have the, the best, uh, I, I don't have the best uh, cell phone available. I, I need to upgrade. It's only been six months since I got a new phone. I, I, my car is two years old. I mean, it's getting old. You remember when people used to drive cars for like 10 and 15 years? I rode in them. The water came up through the bottom sometimes, you know? Rust? We don't know what rust is. We don't even see it anymore. We don't drive things or use things long enough for that to happen scientifically. You know, we just, we, we live in a disposable society. We do. We waste more than what we use. The truth of the matter is, is sometimes people come to the church of God and we call for people to give and sacrifice. And we're like, sacrifice? What's that? I don't even know what that is. Does that mean giving up my latte this week? I mean, what is sacrifice? And by the way, we think that. And it's, it's the truth, because when we call the church to fasting, we think fasting is just, well, maybe I just won't watch TV this week. And I understand that's a form of it. And I'm not trying to knock you this morning, but I think there's a little bit further that we could go. And we wonder why we're not seeing as many missionaries sent into the foreign fields, because we're so comfortable here. Well, we'll just minister to them by, via the Internet. They can watch our live stream, you know. We have internet ministries, and we're not talking to people anymore. We don't know what sacrifice is. Listen, where are the pioneers? Where are those that would go to places? And by the way, I'm all for the, the deputation process and all that. I think it's harder and harder for missionaries to get to foreign fields because people are so skeptical. They just think, well, what's this missionary really going to do when they get there? We have this process in our mind that we think, you know, but we're not willing to go. The other thing is, is I don't replace serving with money. Well, I give. It's wonderful. It doesn't replace your witness. It doesn't replace soul winning. It, it doesn't replace your going. It doesn't replace you having the obligation to disciple. It doesn't replace serving. You say, well, it's good that I do that. Absolutely, God's called. But God doesn't say that one doing negates another. He's called us to do it all. He's called us all to it, by the way. He doesn't just call 
full-time ministry staff members to do these things. He's called us all to do them things. You know, what I've seen more and more, and by the way, I've heard my predecessors say it for decades, the decline of local New Testament church soul winning and outreach and prayer. Call for a prayer meeting, a couple people show up. Call for soul winning, a couple people show up. Call for, we show our priorities, really. Well, I don't have time for that. Well, when are you going to do it? Because if you don't, and I'm not saying that's the only time that you can, but when are you actually going and doing it? Because if you're not making it a priority, you're probably not going to do it. Just like Bible reading and prayer, you've got to have a time and a place. But you probably won't do it. We have got to be deliberate about obeying the Word of God. It's how we display our love. It's an expression. I'm not trying to hurt you this morning. I'm just trying to say, we've got to examine ourselves and say, are we loving the way He loved? Are we loving like the cross shows us love? Are we loving like Jesus loves because he's the example? And he says, my little children, look here. You can't just love in word. You've got to love in deed and in truth. So then it comes down to how do we define love? Is it truthful? Is it honest? Because it's in deed and in truth. And God would have us to love that way. Love is more than a word, isn't it? It's more than emotion. It's more than a feeling. It's more than an experience. God would have us to show the kind of love that he showed us on the cross of Calvary. Father, I pray this morning. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.